It's that time again, everybody. It is a 3ND podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at 3ND Pod. You can find me at J underscore Timberfake underscore. And we are part of the Grizzly Bear Blues network of podcasts. Go follow us and all of our work over at SBN Grizzlies. I'm excited about today's episode. I hope you guys are, are holding up these final, hopefully, weeks of quarantine. Hopefully, this thing ends fairly soon and, and the NBA gets kicked back up. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. And we have a very special guest with us. I have with us tonight uh, Mr. Dave Deckard of Blazers Edge. He is the site manager or lead editor over there. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So what's, what's life been like for you on lockdown? Well, a uh, lot of work from home, um, a lot of writing about topics that otherwise we wouldn't write about until summer. Uh, we've been doing a top 100 list of players in team history. That's been interesting, uh, picking up on NBA news, talking about a lot of theoretical stuff, of course, because there's not a lot of tangible stuff to talk about. So it's its own brand of fun, and it certainly allowed us to indulge some fantasy scenarios and what-ifs. But uh, it's not quite the same as having actual games and playoffs to talk about, of course. Yeah, the, the coming up with the content has been um, kind of difficult uh, during this stretch. So a lot of the, the what-if kind of stuff. We've done our greatest Grizzlies tournament and, and all that good stuff. So we definitely uh, are in the same boat there. So I do want to ask you a couple questions about the Blazers, um, kind of get your perspective on some things before we jump into some uh, what-ifs on the return of the NBA. The first one I've got is, how did you feel when the Blazers signed Carmelo Anthony? Uh, I think it was probably a mediocre move. Statistically, it looks good, but I think that initial impression has been borne out. Anthony has prospered because the Blazers have been in a situation to allow him to. Basically, been able to feed him. Uh, they, used him, they use him as an outlet, which is legit, but he's getting a lot more touches than he would if the team were competitive. If Yusuf Nurkic, for instance, were healthy, or if they were driving for the playoffs, where they wouldn't be able to stomach as much of the defense. Although, I must say, he has picked that up a little bit too. But it's basically, it's one of those situations where if Carmelo is doing that well, something's going wrong because the ball is feeding through him too much, which means there's no reason to take it anywhere else, which means the team is not succeeding. So for what it is, I like the signing. It was fine. No harm, no foul. That was all right. But if you're looking at keeping the Blazers competitive or is this a good sign, I don't think it was so much. Yeah. Um, of course, all the knocks are on his defense and um, it's not like, Portland is full of just defensive stalwarts and I know that there was a need y'all the injuries that you guys have faced with with Zach Collins and and Yusuf Nurkic um, I know that it kind of forced your hand um, I don't think scoring was really an issue for you guys with the backcourt that you have but that's what I kind of want to ask you about next the backcourt so you had that stretch between I'm looking January 9th and February 11th where Lillard lit up the league um, you know, the 60-point performance followed by 47 and then 50, and then he had a 48 and a 51 back-to-back. -back. Um, 
and you guys were kind of rattling off some games. But then it shifted on February 12th against Memphis, ironically, um, on a stretch all the way through the Sacramento game, the game right before y'all's last game before the hiatus, where Lillard didn't lead the team in scoring and your record was not that good. You guys only won three games in that stretch. So what, is, what do you think the correlation is between Lillard leading the team in scoring and his wins and losses? Well, it's not just leading the team in scoring because he can do that all year long if he wants to. But the good news is he's capable of scoring 40 or 50. I mean, not many NBA, player, NBA players can say that with regularity. Damian Lillard is that kind of talent. He's much better than anybody thought he would ever be. He's much better, I think, than most people give him credit for right now. He is everything you could ever want in a star. The bad news is when he wasn't literally scoring 40 and 50 points, the Blazers didn't really have a chance. And that shows you everything about the makeup of the team around him right now. Um, and nobody is capable of keeping up that level of production all season long. And Leonard himself, uh, you know, fatigue sets in, nagging injuries, all of that. That's been a constant issue with him because he's played big minutes since he came into the league. This is not unusual for him to surge and then fade. That's not his fault. I mean, that's going to happen. The, the infrastructure isn't around him that the team can still win when he fades right now. That said, injuries are obviously huge. That story would be different if uh, Collins and Nurkic were present. But also the other hidden injury was Rodney Hood who was shooting basically a league-leading percentage in three, on three-point shots when he went down. He was the one who really flourished this year before Carmelo came on board. And when he went down, it was like the one good thing for the Blazers the whole season long being taken away. So Lillard made up for that for a while by scoring out of his mind and playing at a superhero-like level. That obviously wasn't going to keep up when it didn't. They started losing. That's the summation of their season. Right. So one last question before we jump into um, the main topic revolving around the uh, injuries. Yusuf Nurkic was on track to come back. Did he, did he actually come back before the hiatus? He did not. Okay. So, but he was on track to come back right around the time that it wouldn't happen. So how much of a difference maker or X factor do you think he would be for this team in any scenario that the Blazers get to continue playing basketball this season? Well, it depends on what Nurkic you get. The Nurkic who went down last March was playing out of his mind. Everything the Blazers needed, he gave. Now, he wasn't posting 50 points like Lillard, but he upped his defensive game. He was a hound on the boards. He was compact in his offense and was absolutely facilitating other players scoring his transformation last season was one of the more interesting maybe even phenomenal that I've seen year to year from any trailblazers player now when he went down that was a incredibly serious injury obviously physically but also psychologically for him and for the team they are not used to playing with him. They've been a year without him. He's not used to playing, which means I'm guessing that even if he's completely physically healed, which the hiatus should allow him to do, that 
mentally, emotionally getting in the flow of things, it's going to take a while. The problem is there's not a while left in the season, no matter how you slice it. So I don't think that it's going to make a significant difference this year. But long term, the Blazers are a very different team if he's playing at the top of his game than obviously if he's gone, but also if he's just playing kind of somewhere in the middle. He was the difference maker that turned them from a pretty good team into a team that people were scared of. No, I, I agree with that, and that's kind of why I asked the question because obviously you wouldn't throw him back in the starting lineup. Hassan Whiteside would stay there. Um, but to be able to have somebody of Nurkic's talent level to come off the bench um, in a play-in tournament scenario or um, if you're able to to have your three-month uh, or not three-week um, kind of get guys back in shape uh, time and then you go and you finish the season in some form or fashion um, – I think that he would still have a pretty decent impact uh, being a guy off the bench because he's going to be going off guys off other people's benches that he's definitely going to be better than. Um, and I'll just be real honest with you. Um, as we jump into the the main subject, um, I'm working through a series at Grizzly Bear Blues about how the NBA returns and really how it affects Memphis. And the Blazers scare me the most when it comes to the fact of a play-in tournament or even – finishing out the season um and so we'll we'll talk about Damian Lillard's comments um he came out and mentioned a a play-in tournament for the eight seed and the reaction of course of all Memphis fans is, is has been the same you had your chance for a play-in you had 60 plus games um you couldn't do it then so why do you deserve more it's the whole um thing that you've probably seen all over Twitter so Tell me, as a somebody that covers the Blazers um, and a Blazers fan, you obviously want a chance at the playoffs, but as an NBA person, how do you think that the, the season should come back? As far as the playoffs go or as, par, as far as coming back in general? Coming back in general, should we jump into the playoffs? Should there be a play-in tournament? Should we finish out the season? Just, like, where do you fall in that? Okay, let's go, let's go quick here then. Of course, the Blazers want to play in tournament because they sucked through most of the season and they want to redeem it. Uh, I don't think that should be allowed. Uh, I agree with Grizzlies fans. Everybody below eight had their chance. And by the way, um, the difference is, I, is fairly significant between nine and eight as far as the gap between them and the number of games left. So I would not support that. But as a human being, um, I, I don't support a full return to the season uh, unless it can be guaranteed that everybody is safe in doing so. And it, I think at this point, I don't think that can be guaranteed. So I'm really not in favor of the regular season at least resuming. There are too many teams, too many players, too many variables, and too little reward, frankly, because what are you doing besides playing out the string and most of the teams are not going to succeed or, you know, only one will emerge the champion anyway. What are you doing playing all the preliminaries? Uh, I am not necessarily in favor of even extending the playoffs. I think they will need to do something. Uh, because I, I think the season really suffers without a champion, and I think it's heartrending for teams like the Bucks or the Raptors or even the Clippers and Lakers, who absolutely played their hearts out, were having a phenomenal year, and to not even have a chance to have that all go away, I cannot imagine that. That said, 
I think you have to reduce the number of variables and people exposed before you even consider having a playoff scenario, which means I think at the outside, they should probably go with six teams in the playoffs with maybe the, the one and two seeds having a bye through the first round and three plays six and four plays five to see who will play the upper seeds in the second round. And then you have conference finals and finals. That's the, that's the outside. I mean, and I, I would support just the top four teams, frankly, because I'm not sure that anybody else, I'm not sure even that those four seeded teams, Miami and Utah have a real chance, but why not just get in a controlled environment if you're going to do this, a controlled environment, as few players as possible, as little support staff as possible, as isolated of a broadcast as possible, broadcast it to the nation, but do it in neutral ground, maybe, uh, you know, shorten the, the first round of five games or something, uh, then play seven and then seven in the finals and call it done. Uh, I, I, think, I think it would be too little, too little gained, basically, and too much risk to do much more. And I've, I empathize for Magic fans and Grizzly fans and eight seeds and six seeds, but realistically, uh, you know, you're, you're campaigning with, for people's lives to be affected for a very, very small chance of actually doing something that anyone will remember. Nobody 10 years from now is going to be going, hey, remember that time we made the first round and got eliminated? That was sure awesome. So why do something that's not going to matter long term and you risk something that can change an entire life? Doesn't make sense to me. And frankly, I <laughs> I would almost be okay if they just had the top two seeds in each conference play one in Vegas, one in Orlando. The winner is going to come out of each conference, play the finals, and be done with it. Now, those are some interesting scenarios that I've not heard yet, um, the, the top six or the top four. Um, very interesting. I do agree that when they do come back, they need to limit exposure as much as possible. Um, so – in the scenario that they try to finish out the season, that would require all 30 teams being in the same city. You couldn't split Western Conference and Eastern Conference because there's, I mean, games that remain against Eastern Conference teams between Western Conference teams. Um, so if you wanted to play out all 15 to 19 games, the range of, of what's left, you'd have to be in, in one spot and you'd have to do it AAU style where the first game starts at 10 o'clock in the morning and you're playing all day long. And then you may come back the next day and play another one. Um, rest shouldn't be an excuse. They've had two months of rest. Um, so that wouldn't be much of a factor. Um, you limit exposure in a way that way, but you are bringing more people by having all 30 teams. Um, the other part of just jumping into it changes, you know, the teams that maybe were beginning to start thinking about, you know, the tank that they claim they never think about. Um, so the ping pong balls would, would be affected by not finishing out the season, um, not finishing out the season. I mean, for, uh, I believe financial implications, there's like, um, there's a, I think 70 games is when the NBA reaches, um, some type of agreement on the broadcast side of things. Um, and let's be real. The, the NBA wants to put Lillard on TV as much as they can Zion Williamson on TV as much as they can, because those two guys um, or a lot of fun and are attractive pieces to watch. So the more, you know, games they can generate that way um, would be 
great financially for them and, and for the team. And so I did a breakdown of the schedules and the Grizzlies being three and a half games ahead of you guys, the Pelicans and Sacramento, and then San Antonio is four games back. We had the hardest strength to schedule going forward. We've got two games against Portland, two games against New Orleans, one against San Antonio, and one against the Knicks. That's it against teams that are not currently in the playoffs in either conference. Whereas you guys had the third easiest remaining schedule um, with two of those games being head-to-head against us. The reason I'm scared of you guys is how easy your schedule is and the fact that you've got guys that have been there and done that, mainly in, in Damian Lillard. And all it takes is those two head-to-head matchups you guys coming out and, and beating us those two games, and it's a totally different landscape. Um, but like you said, I, I don't know if the season were to come back to, to play it out its entirety, um, if that's the right choice. But let's say Adam Silver figures it out and says, we're going to finish the, the, the 2020 season. Do you think Portland catches and passes Memphis for the eighth seed while holding off the Pelicans and Kings as well? Okay, I'll do that, but I want to go back to the other afterwards, if that's okay. Yes. I think there are implications. But, no, I don't think the Blazers catch up. I don't think they've been consistent or good enough. I understand they'll be back in full strength, but then you got to look and say, had the season not been interrupted, would they have been full strength? And is that fair, then, to give them that advantage, whereas the, the Grizzlies, that's a disadvantage because – either Nurkic wouldn't have been playing at full strength or he would have been still coming back. Now he's much more rested. The scenario is not going to be fair or real no matter how you do it, which is going to call into question, I think, whether you should. Um, Even if the Blazers won to -to head-to-head in isolation, if the records stayed the way they were, they'd still be two behind in the loss column. Portland has played 50, 66 games, so there's 16 left they obviously could make up that ground. But again, I'm going to ask what for, for the privilege of getting, you know, swept or at least, uh, you know, quickly ejected by LeBron James and the Lakers. There's no point. I don't think there's any scenario in which people think the Blazers or the Grizzlies could prevail over them. And even if they did, they probably get taken out or the next in the next round or certainly before the finals. I don't see any path that takes Memphis or Portland to an NBA title this year, no matter what happens. So at that point, what are you playing for? And here's a little bit of the backtracking now. Of course, there's a huge amount of financial incentive for the league and for its players to resume the season because there are millions and millions of dollars on, um, on the line. There's the CBA to negotiate next year, which they're going to have to negotiate anyway, but the less of a nightmare they can make it, the better. And naturally, you know, a lot of the players who are saying we're going to do this are also players. Now I'm not saying the motive is solely financial, but you can't ignore it that if you're making $20 million this year and you're going to lose 40% of that, and then there's going to be some serious talks about whether your contract can be honored next year without breaking apart the entire financial structure of the league, of course you're going to go, we need to play as much as we can. You know what? A guy making $75,000 a year and that's his lifeline is going to say the same thing when push comes to shove. That doesn't make it right. So we have to be careful as human beings, I think, to balance out some of this stuff. 
Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. Um, this, I guess on Twitter, I mean, it might have been yesterday or the day before, they talked about the, the league's top players got together to discuss whether or not they wanted to continue the season or not. Well, of course they're going to say yes. Um, but for the reason that you said, the, the amount of money that's on the line. Now, the top stars, is it, is it as big of a concern for them? Maybe not, but those those guys that are on the minimum contracts or, or something like that, that – that's maybe where it makes a difference. And, of course, it affects the potential salary cap for next year and, and guys in free agency next year um, getting lower max deals and, and those kind of things. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a desire to come in and, and play as many games as possible. Um, but this is well, – and they're, and they're competitive and they're young and all kinds of things, which is fantastic. It's great to be all those things. That said, look, I mean – from a societal perspective, sometimes we have to say there's more on the line. And sometimes we have to say when you're in the middle of the trees, you can't see the whole forest. And how does the story change, honestly, if either somebody in the league dies, if somebody on their, their coaching staff, um, by the way, how old are the majority of coaches across the league? True. There are some that are under 50, but a lot of them are over. Or, God forbid, even if it's, you know, someone who's loosely attached, a PR person or the spouse of a PR person or the child of a PR person who has no choice but to go back in and participate in this if the league restarts, whether it's safe or not, are, is all of that money worth the life of a child of somebody who's associated with the team? let alone, you know, the number of people it really could affect. I would say, you know, when that much is on the line, we have to say, this is just sports. And in the end, it's just money. You can always get more money somewhere. There always is going to be a next season. There's not going to be next lives if you lose some because of this. No, no doubt. And that, I mean, that doesn't include, you know, the – the TV broadcasts that come in, the the referees that are on the court with the players, um, many of which are, are some of older as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, and I'm, all of whom have families. Yep. And, and let's take a look at this because we say, you know, we think, well, it's just 15 players. Do you know what? Do you know what size groups travel with these teams? You know what it takes to make it. I mean, trainers and assistant trainers and PR people and their aides and all kinds of stuff like that. Okay, let's let's pretend we could pare it down to thirty people. That would be the players and then one support person, including head coach, other coaches, trainers, whatever, for each player. Let's pretend we could get it that low. That's thirty players or thirty people per franchise. Multiply that by thirty, and that's nine hundred people that have to participate in this just from the team's point of view. That's not counting refs, broadcasters, and other support staff, arena staff or whatever, who don't have to attend to the fans, but someone's got to put the lights on and someone's got to make sure the air conditioning works and all someone's got to feed them and all this stuff. So at this point, you're probably talking 1,500 people involved in this. Now, what are your variables in dealing with this, you know, this situation? What, what can trip you up? Number of people, length of time are two of the huge ones. Location is the other one. Location will probably be the easy one. They can probably find somewhere where they're reasonably sure they're isolated, even if they have to play in a gym in the middle of New Mexico somewhere. 
fair enough. But already by involving 30 teams, you have completely blown open the number of people. And you've also, by involving 30 teams, completely blown the idea of short time frame. And the more people you have and the more time you take, the greater likelihood that that quarantine or whatever isolation is going to be broken and then the whole thing's going to go downhill. In fact, the greater chance you have that it doesn't even have to be broken because one of the 1,500 people participating already has the virus and is now spreading it around in this insulated, isolated bubble that no one is leaving so you have to do something to shorten the time. You have to do something to limit the amount of people if you consider coming back. That simply means to me, less games, fewer teams, period. And again, if you want to champion the, the, the shortest and least you can do, Bucks versus Raptors in the East, Lakers versus Clippers in the West, winners play each other for the NBA title, end of story you have 14 games well 21 games between the three you know maximum and you have four teams involved two of which get to go home after the first round and you have minimal support staff also i think that's about the only thing at least that makes the most sense the more you expand it from there the more trouble you get into so how would you respond if silver came back and said we just don't see any feasible way to continue the season we're done. We'll restart. Um, we'll start the 2020-2021 season in December. Well, I think I'd be sad about that, but I also think that there's possibility of saying, okay, we're going to start the 2021 season in December, right? And assuming they're going to have 82 games, it's going to go into next summer. But you know what? Uh, we can take uh, – we're assuming December is their arbitrary start date, that they're confident before that, that, uh, you know, that they can be safe in a limited venue. I would say end of October when the season would have actually started, maybe then you have your 14 playoffs or something like that. Or maybe you truncate it, whatever, so that you can name a champion a month before the season starts or something like that, and then you go ahead and play the new one. You have to ask, you know, are the teams going to be fatigued and is it going to work? But I think you can probably monkey with the time frame a little bit so that you end up with a satisfactory resolution even to this season, even if that has to come a little bit before the next one instead of right now this summer. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Well, uh, is there anything that you'd like to add before we hop off here? Well, I mean, it's been an interesting year. Um, I've enjoyed seeing the Grizzlies. I think that, you know, okay, it's not a winning record, but that's not a bad record considering where you were. And it's better than the one the Blazers have. So I think, you know, all in all, no matter what happens here, I think Memphis can take a little bit of solace in that this season is a bit hopeful. I think for the Blazers, it's been the opposite. I think um, for the Blazers, this season has been something of a disaster, obviously caused by injuries, but then you see that this team wasn't as deep as advertised, not as resilient as advertised, certainly just as guard-oriented still as advertised. And I think they have to go back to the drawing board a little bit because I think it's pretty clear at this point with Lillard and McCollum almost turning 30, that the road forward either needs to change radically if they're going to make a real run at a title, or 
They just have to be content with being good for the duration of Damian Lillard's career and never great. And I think that's a sobering outcome for them. But, uh, you know, they're, they're against the wall. So it's, uh, I think it's kind of a tale of two teams here. And, uh, you know, props for Memphis. I'm not sure right now that I wouldn't rather be in Memphis's shoes than in the Blazers. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not upset with the shoes that we have on our feet right now. Never did we think that we'd be here post Mike Conley and Mark Gasol, but we are, and we're excited. Now, I, I wouldn't be jealous of being able to watch Damian Lillard play. Um, he is definitely a, a lot of fun to watch, and, and hopefully um, maybe this offseason you guys can figure out a way to maximize his window um, and get him some, some help around him. Um, Dave, I, I appreciate you coming on. If you would, just kind of let everybody know where they can find you on, on social media and find your work. Yeah, you can find it right now on Blazer's Edge if you ever wanted to know a history of the Portland Trailblazers. We have uh, 83 or 84 posts right now about players uh, over the last 50 years who have impacted the team, including maybe a couple, couple that might have played for Memphis. Not sure about that. Uh, yeah, there are at least three, I think. Uh, also, uh, you can find me personally uh, at Dave Deckard on Twitter. You can always stop by and say hi. It's always fun to talk basketball. Either ask me in the timeline or DM. I don't care which. Love to chat with Grizzlies fans. Uh, you know, we have Zach Randolph in common, if nothing else. Uh, although his story was uh, <laughs> a little bit more positive with your team than he was with ours. He yeah. was number 18 on my top 100 list of influential players. And, uh, oh, boy, there was nearly a riot from some people. Oh, because that got in a wee bit of controversy here in Portland. But I was happy to see him redeem himself once he got to the Grizzlies. No doubt. We, we definitely are, too. Uh, well, Dave, I, I, again, I, I appreciate it. You guys go check out his stuff and check out his site. They do good work over there. Well, for Dave, uh, this has been another episode of the 3 and D Podcast, and we will see you guys next week.